The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. A lot for the markets to digest here right in the teeth of Earnings season, we've got the ECB meeting tomorrow. Uh, the Fed, we're going to get at something uh, July 27th, I believe, is the date. So lots for this market to digest. I'll take a step back and uh, put it all into perspective. Luca Paolini, chief strategist for Pictet Asset Management, based in London, he joins us. Luca, as we stand back here and, and start to really get into the teeth of this earnings season, what do you expect to hear from companies? What are you looking for? What are you kind of paying attention to during these uh, earnings conference calls that we're all listening to. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, I think, you know, the we tend to focus a lot on what companies are going to tell us about the consumer. I think we should actually look at investment because investment normally is the real driver, would really create a recession. So I think from the consumer, we know pretty much the fundamentals. We know what can go right, what can go wrong. I think the real, for me, the question mark and what I want to know if companies are holding back on investment, if they are reducing headcounts. And I think in this, especially in this earnings season, where actually expectations are quite low, I want to see the guidance. I want to see companies telling us they are confident enough or not confident enough to uh, basically expand, to increase, uh, basically to, to, to hire people. Uh, and that, for me, would be the focus. Because I think on the consumer, we pretty much know the story. I think for, on investment, investment has been very strong. And I think this is, to me, is the key things to watch, not so much the the resilience or not of the consumer. Are, haven't we seen evidence that companies are holding pat, that they're waiting to make that decision? Um, and on the on the fringe, certainly on the West Coast, um, starting to reduce at least the pace of hiring or even cut back on headcount? Yeah. Well, we have seen, obviously, Apple. Uh, in the data, when you look at, uh, for example, uh, capital goods orders that see an all-time high. What is what has happened, though, that investment expectations or, or plans have been cut significantly. So, again, uh, there is this kind of – the data still looks very, very solid. I think, though, I can see at the margin um, some significant potentially reduction in investment. But, again, that's, what, that's why I'm waiting for companies to tell us because I think it's clear that momentum is lowering, but it's also clear that you know, you don't want to basically uh, get rid of people when it's so difficult then to rehire them. So I think it's very important for me to have a sense uh, if companies are confident enough. And, and I think that's the key point. Luca, here at Bloomberg, we really take a global view. Our audience takes a global view. We have an important day from the European Central Bank tomorrow. Uh, what are you looking for? Um, you know, the European Central Bank has this incredible ability to disappoint. Um, <laughs> in the past two occasions, when the high rates in July, we had a recession. I think this time, though, they have no other choice. I, I don't think that 
the interest rate hike, I think is more likely, to be honest, for me, it's more likely to be 50 basis points because I think they want to send a message that they have inflation under control and at the same time, they want to send a signal that they're there to help the periphery. So probably that, that's a compromise uh, that will emerge from, from the council. 25 or 50 basis points, I think it's pretty much the same. I don't think it will change anything. But I think also they are forced to take action, you know, with the euro pretty much at parity, inflation going through the roof. Um, I think they have to take action. But I don't think it's going to be a huge market mover. I don't think that will make a big, big, big difference for markets, to be honest with you. We saw the euro at least rally back through a dollar up to 103, 102 right now. Um, does that going to hold or do you see continued dollar strength here? I mean, I'm looking across the spectrum, right? One, we're back up to 120 for the pound, um, still 138 for the yen. So still incredible weakness there. But does, does uh, DXY continue to rise? Well, I, I, I do believe that the dollar is very, very close to a major peak, uh, cyclical and, and, and also strategic. But you need, though, uh, I think, two, two things. One, clear indication that you have inflation has peaked. I think it has, but this is not the view of everyone. And second one, we need to see uh, a clear reacceleration in China, where the evidence is also not particularly strong. So I do believe, and you'll be surprised at what I'm saying, is that the currency which has the more upside here is the yen. The yen, because the yen has been effectively killed by what? By interest rate expectations going up everywhere else apart from Japan. And, and if there is, if the global economy slips into recession, the interest rate differential will go actually in favor of Japan. And given that the expectations are so low and the valuation is so attractive, I think, I know it sounds strange, that the uh, Japanese yen could be the big surprise in the next three to six months. For the euro, I think there are too many risks uh, in terms of uh, the war in Ukraine, DCB, Italy. Uh, I think it's probably still a little bit too early to be bullish on the euro. Luca, real quick, uh, 30 seconds. How about in fixed income? It's been a brutal first half of the year. Any opportunities there? Yes, there are. There are in some emerging markets like Brazil. I think also in some parts of the of the credit market, corporate debt, especially in the U.S., triple uh, A names, safe names, good yields. I think still solid in a way, uh, solid fundamentals. Yeah, we start to see some good values again, especially in the U.S. and some parts of YEM. But we stay away from Europe. All right, Luca. Great stuff. Always appreciate getting your perspective, Luca. Paolini, chief strategist for Pictet Asset Management. He is based uh, in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Why does everyone hate rats so much? Oh. Are they worse than squirrels or chipmunks? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, what did you say? Did you say poop? Yeah. I don't okay. think you can say that. No? Okay. I'm not sure, but we'll check. Ken right, Fellew says that maybe that's okay. Ah, okay. Our director, our global director, Ken Fellow, says you can. But let's not. Let's not. Let's no. 
That's, not, that's a brutal story. All right, Greg Jarrett, thank you so much here. All right, we got a Federal Reserve meeting coming up. Is it July 27th? I think that's the big one. Jennifer Lee, Senior Economist and Managing Director at BMO Capital Markets, joins us. Jennifer, I mean, we're in the midst of earnings season. That's kind of got investors' attention here. Um, but again, we know that the real focus is on this Federal Reserve as we think about inflation, as we think about inf uh, recession. What do you expect from our Federal Reserve? Uh, good morning. And by the way, just on uh, one final note, what you were saying earlier, how about raccoons? Um, yes, so, yes, for the Fed, I mean, <laughs> so for the Federal Reserve, I mean, we so we expect a uh, a 75 basis point rate hike. Um, oh, Jesus, next week already. Um, I don't think um, a lot of people anymore are thinking about a, a risk of a 100 basis point move, just given that we've seen the softer data lately. Um, in terms of what he, the, the Fed chair is going to say, I think he's, I would expect him to soften his um his his points about the economy. I mean, last time we heard from him was at was in Sintra, uh, Portugal, and he was talking about how uh, the U.S. economy was in strong shape and well positioned to withstand tighter monetary policy. And I still think that second point is probably still valid. But you know, we have again seen some weakening. You know, for example, in the housing market, some slightly softer you know um, uh, retail sales uh, data last week. Uh, and those were the pieces of data that Governor Waller was was talking about uh, referring to in terms of what he was going to uh, how he was going to vote next week. So I think seventy five basis points is probably the uh, the base case um, right now, and maybe soft softening his tune a little bit on the economy. By the way, I have a bet with Kriti Gupta um, dinner of her choice that inflation has peaked. I think it I think nine point one percent was the high reading for CPI. Do you think I'm at risk of losing that bet? Boy, I hope it is. Um, but I think over the next few months, the the year-over-year the year comparables might get a little tougher. Um, but I think for the July CPI uh, um, report, probably going to see it pull back, probably probably below the nine percent level, just given that gas prices have, you know, we've had some relief on the on, on that front at least. But again, broader measures. I mean, broader measures in terms of the the core measures are still quite elevated as well. So. I don't know if we have completely hit the peak, but we've been saying Q3, and I think I've been saying September-ish. So I'm sort of waffling on that front, but you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that 9.1% would be the peak. Jennifer, what do you make of this U.S. dollar? I mean, it's the highest, if you look at the DXY index, the highest in almost 20 years kind of thing. Help us put that into perspective and kind of how you think things may play out going forward. Well, it's got a lot. Of, it still has a lot of tailwinds behind it, just given you know how aggressive the Fed is, plan, is still planning to be, you know, um, raising rates expeditiously. And then when you're looking at it versus, you know, for example, the euro, even though, you know, everyone's expecting, or we are all expecting the ECB to do something tomorrow, you know, as your last guest said, you know, they have a habit of disappointing. Um, you know, this is probably a great opportunity for them to prove everybody wrong. But if they don't, you know, we could see, you know, the euro uh, dip below parity again. Um, the pound also uh, is getting a little bit of a tailwind this morning, but at the same time, it also has a lot of headwinds you know, facing it with potentially 11% inflation coming up. And, uh, of course, you know, much slower growth in the second half with inflation so high. So I think because of that, just the U.S. dollar broadly, I think still has some life left in it. By the way, there are many words we cannot use on radio to describe <laughs> the European situation this winter. How much trouble is that economy in? It's uh, that's one reach, one area that I'm very concerned about, just because of that huge, heavy reliance for too long um, on, on Russian energy. And even though they are now finally trying 
to rid themselves of that reliance by cutting cutting their their, their dependence by two thirds by the end of the year. You know, I would continue to say good luck with that. Trying to build all those LNG terminals when you're still have a, a big shortage of supplies and of labor. Um, but this is the one point in time in my life I will say that maybe it's a good thing that there's uh, climate change um, and global warming because hopefully the winter will not be really really bad and you know and, and so the, the the gas usage will not be as high as you know as the worst case scenario. But you know this is one area that that for sure I'm I'm quite concerned about. Thirty seconds uh, left, Jen. Um, what's your recession kind of expectation? Is it? Above 50%, below 50%? For the U.S. For the U.S., yeah. Um, maybe a little bit over 50%. Okay. Um, we actually have a, a negative sign uh, penciled in for the early next year. Um, maybe not you know, your traditional um, two quarters in a row of negative growth, but certainly much slower growth, almost like a growth recession as we have unemployment picking up a little bit as well towards the end of uh, this year and next all right, Jennifer Lee, thank you so much. We always appreciate getting uh, your thoughts here. Jennifer Lee, Senior Economist and Managing Director of BMO at Capital Markets. Again, the ECB uh, meeting tomorrow. Bloomberg Surveillance will be all over that in your early morning coverage. You can rest assured there. And then, of course, oh, yeah. All we I, will definitely overcover the ECB. Oh, we love the ECB. I well, mean, Christine Lagarde. Some of us love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah some of us love it. But again, uh, certainly for our European uh, listeners and viewers, a big, big. Uh, meeting tomorrow. We'll certainly have all that. Looking at Netflix, they reported some numbers last night. I think the takeaway was it could have been worse. Um, looking at this stock, the good news is it's up 4% today. The bad news is down 65% on a year-to-date basis. Let's break it all down with Mark Douglas, president and CEO of Mountain. Mountain is an advertising software company enabling brands to drive measurable conversions, revenue, and site visits. So, Mark. Owned again, by? Owned by? Ryan Reynolds, Ryan dude. Reynolds. Deadpool. Acquired Ryan Reynolds creative agency. Maximum or, okay, so, Mark, how do we say this? I guess not owned by, but you got together with Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, Ryan's um, chief creative officer at Mount. So, he um, has made a lot of movies and decided he wanted to do some other things and so he and I teamed up, and he works at Mountain, working with a lot of our customers, and obviously his business strategy. So it's, uh-huh. it's see, I said it wrong. I said Mountain was owned by Ryan Reynolds. Actually, Mountain Acquired. bought Ryan Reynolds. Right. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so what the work on maximum effort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maximum effort. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, Mark. So again, Netflix numbers last. You know, the tide has changed here. It's not a you know grow at a breakneck speed kind of thing. They're trying to adjust to a new world order in terms of. A lot more competition. That maybe the easy growth in terms of subscriber growth is is done. What did you take away from their results last night? Well, I think the one thing to take away is they still are twice as large as any of their competitors in terms of number of subscribers. So the number of subscribers is clearly slowed. I think Netflix people are are responding actually. I think a bit more to how quickly they're responding, announcing the ads business, announcing. Um, new ways of doing password sharing that that generate revenue for them, and so I think that's the big that overshadowed that there's still been some subscriber losses in the quarter, and I and I think you'll continue to see that there's some growth in the stock as people see them acting decisively. Hey Mark, how about this advertising opportunity for Netflix? Um, a lot of analysts on the Wall Street are saying this could be a big deal in terms of a new source of revenue. How do you think about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think the opportunity here is it can be as potentially as large as Netflix's current revenue. So they have as much as 20% of all viewing a TV is done on Netflix. So it's just a huge amount of user engagement, people watching shows on Netflix that they can potentially monetize. Now, there are some challenges. All that content wasn't acquired by Netflix with advertising in mind. So they have to potentially get rights to do ads on that content. They have to like find places to do it. But there's also a lot of opportunity because they have no legacy advertising business. They don't have to have 30-second TV ads. They can choose any format with any content over time. And I think the revenue potential is at, at least as large as Netflix is right now in terms of their, their size. What happened in this market? Yesterday I was at a crypto um, convention and obviously crypto has been poo pooed because of the incredible crash of Bitcoin. But they all said, hey, you know what? It's nothing compared to Netflix. You know, Netflix has done much worse than than Bitcoin, which I thought was a silly comparison. But um, it does show you just how much, I guess, froth was in streaming. Is it all across streaming or was it just Netflix? Well, I, I mean, froth, it's been, I think it's a pretty strong term. You have to look at it that Netflix led a revolution. They completely changed the relationship between consumers and entertainment, you know, allowing on-demand viewing, allowing you to get, you know, an entire season of shows all at once. And so that innovation, I don't think is, is I wouldn't perceive that as frothy. I would consider it that yeah, the market was crashing and Netflix, announced that they were having some subscriber losses and you know everyone reacted and and i think obviously they have challenges this is not going to be easy to transition into having an ad supported price point for them but i think the potential there is clear and so i think potentially people overreacted in terms of the sell-off in netflix stock and you know how the the stock the price declines in the last quarter and you and you're starting to see that turn around mark what do you think about if you, as we step back and take a look at the streaming business everybody and their brothers got a streaming service now and they're all it seems like they're all named plus um how does this shake out i mean are we going to have three players five players ten players or more well there is a lot of consolidation i mean if you look at like netflix disney discovery networks nbc universal I think you're looking at like five companies or essentially half of the entertainment market for, for you know, and television viewing at home. So there, there's already somewhat of a consolidation. I think you'll see that continue. Um, in the advertising space, actually, the brand advertising market is not really growing that quickly. So you're looking at somewhat of a market share war. In other words, you know, when Netflix comes to this market with TV ads and Disney comes to the market with Disney Plus, it's not like um, Procter & Gamble is going to allocate more budget for TV ads. So it's a bit of a, a, a market share war, actually. So the opportunity is to expand the number of television um, advertisers to basically go beyond just these biggest advertisers or else it, it is going to be a bit of a fight. And um, so they have to kind of do both things. They have to get into that market with the biggest advertisers, and they have to innovate with Microsoft in case case of Netflix and Disney, right. you know, with their Hulu division. 
um, in terms of to essentially expand the market or else everyone's going to be fighting over the, you know, the same pool of dollars. All right. So, Mark, Disney just came out a couple of days ago with an announcement. They secured $9 billion in advertising commitments during its upfront ad sales event, which happens kind of in, in Mar- May of every year. Uh, they're saying streaming played a big part of that. How do you what are your takeaways there? Well, I think the, I mean, I know they love to announce upfront, but I, I don't see upfront as a concept lasting for many more years. The concept oh, good was parties, created because, yeah, it is good party. <laughs> but the, the the thing is is that upfronts were created because you have, you know, a certain number of advertisers that are looking for the same shows that the same group of consumers are watching. And so they could get people to bid against each other to get that. But when you look at streaming, you know, you don't target base. You don't care about the show. You care about who's the consumer I'm trying to reach. And so you don't really need the upfronts in the same way. So I think right. to me, we've reached peak upfront. Like the, the, like the parties aren't, aren't going <laughs> to be on the decline. I don't think this is the irony. I think we've reached peak upfront. But the right. industry overall will grow because the upfront model is a 50-year-old business model that is due for a change. I and gotcha. I think that change is going to occur. Yeah, I had some good stories, Matt, from some of these upfront parties. All right, that's Mark Douglas, president and CEO of Mountain. Uh, getting the latest on Netflix, again, kind of a mixed report last night, but uh, you know, still talking about what is a growing streaming industry. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. with Mike McGlone, senior commodity strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. And he's one of, Matt, one of those of the cool kids that during the pandemic relocated from the Northeast down to Miami. And he's always, you know, boasting and talking a big game when we're freezing <laughs> up here in January and February. Mike, how are things down in Miami in July? Wait, well, I, it's funny. I came south so I can cool off in the summer. You guys are getting heat waves now. That's right. Wait, aren't you here? I just saw you here yesterday. I was yesterday, but I had to come back to the rough digs here in Miami. It's, it's, it's tough, but, you know, ah. sometimes you got to do it. So do we have – what do we have going on here in Bitcoin? Well, I think the big macro picture is Bitcoin – is one of the biggest bull markets in history that just had its biggest, its steepest discount to its 100-week moving average ever. That was just a few days ago. And then you look over the other, one of the biggest bear markets in history, crude oil had its steepest premium to its 100-week moving average ever, and that was just a few months ago. And I think what we're doing is getting that reversion process now. So since we had that 75 basis point hike, which was last month, we're probably going to get one next week, Bitcoin is up about 10%. And crude oil is down about 10%. To me, that's what's going to continue to happen, partly because of this is the macro, the micro. And the key thing, I think, to worry about for Bitcoin is only if we get another big plunge in the stock market, Bitcoin might drop, but it seems to be in the process of coming out ahead. And I think that really showed us last Thursday. Remember, we had that bounce in the stock market. Bitcoin did it first. It's like Matt's been pointing out. We've been pointing out a lot. It's just a great leading indicator at, at the moment. It still is. So you, you tied oil and gold together. Are they? 
Well, in this year, and it's one thing I've enjoyed at, at a few conferences, people ask me, why are you writing so much about crude oil? Well, it's one of the most significant, as people would say, standard deviation moves versus a 100-week move on average ever in crude oil futures. And Bitcoin, what I'm just seeing is a normal discount in a bull market, but I have to rope in crude oil. So let's remember in the beginning of the year, the Fed was going to hike 25 basis points at every meeting. And then we had this massive spike in commodities led by crude oil. Now they're hiking 75 basis points at two meetings in a row. I mean, they are taking up the sledgehammer on markets. <laughs> they are. It's a sledgehammer. And it's okay that stock markets bounce. That's great. But I think they're going to just keep tightening as the stock market gives up. And Bitcoin, I think, has had, you know, it's pretty good bear market, but it's had the normal nuances you'd see in a, in a you know, nascent technology. We're seeing the, the leaves of some of the bankruptcies and stuff. But it's probably more likely just to come out ahead. It's just a question of timing and uh, volatility. What was your takeaway? Yesterday, I saw you at the um, Bloomberg Crypto Conference in, I guess, what do you call it? 29th Street? It's not Midtown anymore. It's like the Gramercy Park area. The Penn District. Uh, in any case, um, what was your takeaway there? We saw some big names um, talking. Jack Mahler's I spoke with. Sam Bankman-Fried spoke with Matt Levine. Um, Michael Novogratz spoke with Shanali Bassick. What was your takeaway? Very similar, Matt, to what I took away from the SALT conference in Bahamas is most of the people in the space realize that this has got a little bit, a bit overdone and a little bit bubblicious, and we're pers- bursting the bubble. And out of that, so many people are so positive about the new technology, what it's going to do and where it's going to go. And that was my takeaway from um, from Sam Bankman-Fried, Nova Grants. And I, I really liked how he admitted, yes, I was wrong, but moving on. This is a pretty significant technology. And also on my panel, you know, where are we a year from now when we get past this period of we all remember from the, the dot-com bubble. A year from now, we've built a better system, and it's about appreciation. Wow. So you were – talk to us. What but you're still a bull. You're, you're still, still a, a bull. But I, I wonder when you get – when you step outside of crypto bubbles, <laughs> isn't it hard to keep being bullish after a drop from 60-whatever to 20 well, let's put this in context. We've dropped about $25 trillion from global equities based on Bloomberg metrics, and we've lost about a billion, a trillion in cryptos. I mean, now, right now, tr- cryptos are a rounding error compared to what's happened in the macro. We've had the biggest drawdown in the, in the, in the bond commodity, in the bond future, which is where I started in the trading pits in, in the 80s, ever, and well, since 1977. So the markets, Bitcoin's part of it, and cryptos are part of that macro, but the thing is, it's the fastest horse in the race. Where is it five or 10 years from now? So here's my bottom line in Bitcoin. I fully expect this 20,000 level is going to be like 5,000 was the last bear market. And it's just a matter of time. It gets to 100,000. Something has to change in the demand and adoption because the supply is declining that it has to, prices have to go up. And I don't think that's going to change. I think we're just going to see more dip by the like, picture. Do you ever go out to dinner with people who aren't involved in crypto or like... What are you talking about? Hang out with someone who's been burned and doesn't want to go back in. Do you have a heart doctor, maybe, who's lost money yeah, on... Like, <laughs> like Mike Novogratz mentioned. Well, a lot of people got over their skis. The way I look at, at, at my, the bottom line for cryptos, if you're running, say, 100 units of any asset, and you don't have one or two of those units in crypto, you're at greater risk than not doing it. And to me, that narrative was kind of a smaller part of the bell curve maybe five years ago. Every day that goes by, it's an increasing nuance in the space. Realize, okay, I I got to get in a space. I'm willing to buy dips in, in crypto. It's got the highest beta. If the, if the market goes up, Bitcoin's probably going to go up the most. Cryptos will. And where is it five, ten years from now? Do we really think the world going digital is not going to adapt this 
global digital collateral. And then you look at Ethereum. It's really the bottom line for NFTs. Tokenization, which is the key thing out of my panel, there's nothing to stop the tokenization of assets. Regulation will push back, but it's a matter of time. And the most widely traded cryptos on the planet, the number one is the dollar. Key thing to remember, it's a tokenized version of the dollar. All right, folks. Everybody who's out there has got a Bloomberg terminal in front of them. BI space C-O-M-D go. That's the commodities dashboard run by Mike McGlone of Bloomberg Intelligence. It's got it all. The soft commodities, the hard commodities, all this crypto stuff. It is the place to go. Well, he'll know if we had a peak. Do we have a peak in inflation, at least on the material side? Oh, sure. It's very close. In terms of commodities, commodities are plunging. Look at copper, down 25% yeah. in the year. It's the most extreme versus 100-week move on average since the since Lehman collapsed. So if copper is pointing out that we're heading for a major deflationary period. Serv services is probably the problem, right? At least that's what I heard Tom yeah. Keen saying this morning, that services yeah. could continue to rise in price. So, All right. I could lose my bet with Critty. All right, Mike McGlone down in Miami sweating it out uh, with the masses, but probably no worse than here in New York City. I mean, I mean, try going down in the subway. It was quite hot yesterday. All right, Mike McGlone, Senior Commodity Strategist, Bloomberg Intelligence. Again, that uh, ticker, BI space, C-O-M-D, go. It is all of the commodity research coming out of Bloomberg Research. And Mike has covered everything over his several decade career, the hard commodities, the soft commodities, energy, uh, and now he's really established himself as, you know, within Bloomberg Intelligence and within, I think, the industry itself, one of the leading uh, research voices uh, for all things crypto. So we appreciate getting some time from him. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.